This very special DopeyCon edition of Dopey is brought to you by our friends at Aloe Recovery. Located in sunny Southern California and Malibu and Silver Lake and created by our friend Bob Forrest and his friends, Evan, Bob, and Jared, Aloe was created as a place for addicts to get better and be cared for because Bob is an addict and Evan is an addict and they wanted to go to a place that treated addicts with compassion and not control. They had been to a ton of shithole rehabs and been treated shitty, and they wanted to have a place that treated an addict nicer. So they created Aloe. They created a place where addicts can go and get the kind of help they need and, and feel good about it. This place is awesome. It treats co-occurring mental health disorders, including SMI. They have tons of fucking amenities, including sound bath meditations and surfing and fucking sweat lodges and... You name it, they've got it. But the real point is that when you go to Aloe, you're not treated like a number and you're not treated like a dirt bag. So if you're fucked and you need to go to treatment and you're in sunny Southern California, I would totally go to Aloe. This episode of Dopey is also brought to you by our friends at Clean and Sober Love. Clean and Sober Love, the dating app for people who choose this way of life. It was created by one addict helping another addict date safely. So here's the reality. You got clean, you got sober, you got a new life, and now you're ready to date. So where are you supposed to look? Narcotics Anonymous? Clean and sober life is the solution. Dating and recovery is real and worth considering if your own house is in order. Clean and sober life is the fucking platform where you can meet like-minded people all over the world. Install the app now on the App Store or Google Play Store. Oh, and by the way, it's all fucking completely free. Meet the man or woman of your dreams at Clean and Sober Love. This episode is also brought to you guys by you guys and the Dopey Nation through Dopey Patreon. Go to www.patreon.com slash dopeypodcast. Throw a couple bucks. Help make the show better. If you want stickers or hats, you Venmo me. If you want shirts, hoodies, or long sleeve shirts, you go to www.dopeypodcast.com. Who's ready for DopeyCon? Now is the time. The time is now. I'm so excited. I've been talking to people from all over the country, right? And actually Canada too, right? Some people from Iowa, Pennsylvania. So my name is Jessica and I am an alumni of Mountainside. I'm also a person in long-term recovery and I'm also the alumni manager of Mountainside Treatment Center in Canaan, Connecticut. And so tonight we're excited because we're partnering with Dopey. And we're bringing you the first ever DopeyCon. So you are in our very new resource center. We're calling it a hub for recovery, right? This is in Chelsea, New York City, for those that are listening. And this place is for people in recovery. It's for the community. It's for professionals. We We want this to be about connections, education, wellness, and fun. So tonight, um, I want to just tell you a little bit about me. So I have over 11 years of recovery, um, which all started. Thank you. And through the process, I've come to realize that connections and honesty are two of the most important pieces to recovering. Without these, the disease, as we all know, can manipulate its way and destroy our lives. And I'm sure many of us in this room can understand that, if not all of us. 
Dave, who is with us today. Dave. Um, they met at Mountainside in 2011, um, two individuals with not much in common, but the fact that they were both in the right place at the right time. Um, their friendship was a lasting bond that was created out of an honest conversation on our smoking porch in Canaan, Connecticut. Um, just as I have found while in treatment telling stories, your deep, dark, twisted addiction stories create a connection that can make you feel that you're not alone. Um, the two of them made a commitment to never let a week go by without releasing a show. And when Chris passed away, Dave made the decision to move the show forward, taking to the, talking to the thousands of listeners who had grown to love turning in, tuning in each week to get their dose of addiction reality. Neither of them had any idea that their nation would grow beyond 2 million downloads over the last four years. That's a lot, right? Before I introduce you to the create, one of the creators, yours himself, um, I wanted to just let you know that Mountainside is excited because they are um, going to be donating basically um, in, in honor and recognition of the hard work that Dave has done through Dopey Podcast. Um, they're gifting a scholarship to be given out in support of a person who is seeking treatment. So that's a huge thing. Thank you. Thank you. So I am so honored to introduce you to the man, the myth, the legend, the icon, the leader of the Dopey Nation, the creator of the first ever DopeyCon. Stand up, everybody, and put your hands together for Dave. Thank you. Thank you, Aiden. Hello, and welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. Dude, does it sound, does it level okay on that? It sounds good? All right, good. And I'm Dave, and uh, it's fucking DopeyCon, right? And uh, it's a trip, right? It's a trip. Because I think I met 90% of you guys now, and I'm like ready to go to bed. Because like, it's too late, it's fucking... You know, I, I had to have them make me coffee because it's like, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm done. You know, I was up at 4.30 this morning for no reason because that's just when I wake up. So here we are. Um, DopeyCon, you know. Uh, Linda and I were going over. That's Linda right there. And like, Linda and I were going over like what I'm supposed to say or whatever. And she's like, well, everybody heard the origin of Dopey, so why don't you talk about the origin of DopeyCon? And it's like, I think you guys probably all heard the origin of DopeyCon, too. But the origin of DopeyCon was me and Chris, and we did have a lot in common, me and Chris. I mean, he was 10 years younger than me, and, uh, you know, he was, you know, we had a lot in common, we had a lot of differences, whatever. But he didn't really want to do DopeyCon as much as I wanted to do DopeyCon, because he was like, he, he would be too shy, and like, he would be nervous, and, uh, but it was funny, because uh, I put on Patreon last week, me and Chris, the first time we talked about DopeyCon, and Chris is like, well, maybe we could go to a open mic comedy club. And I know what he's thinking when he said that, because he knew that if he got on stage, I, I would be there to make him feel brave, and he would get on stage, and he would kill it. 
because he's so funny and his stories were so crazy. And, and I would have gotten on stage and sucked and Chris would have loved me sucking at this bullshit open mic fake DopeyCon. And I was like, no, that's not how we're going to do DopeyCon. It's going to be you and me sitting somewhere and I'm going to tear you apart in front of the Dopey Nation, which is what they want. But um, it didn't happen, you know, obviously. And, um, you know, uh, I can't say how much uh, I love Chris and, like, miss him and how much the show, like, uh, is different. You know, there, there's nothing I can say except that uh, it sucks that he died, you know? Um, and that this wouldn't be this if he hadn't lived uh, and if he hadn't died. Like, this would, it would be nothing. You know what I mean? It was, it was, it was both of us. It was, it was probably more him than me because he made the trip. The show would not have happened if he hadn't made that trip. He made that trip every month. And, uh, and as much as he liked to act like he didn't give a fuck, he loved it so much. And, uh, and the show maintained because he was as obsessive about doing Dopey as I was, and, about, and as obsessive about doing drugs as I was. And that's the way Dopey really worked out. And I think, like, as people filtered in, the best thing is that we're all just a bunch of junkies. You know, and here we are, like we pulled ourselves together to come to this stupid thing. Some people smelled of weed, God bless you, wherever you are. Um, but I respect that, you know, what the fuck. Um, I don't want to talk too much, because like we have a lot of speakers and, you know, seven minutes is the sweet spot. Um, we're going to start with my very sweet father. Um, just, wait, 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 just wait, just wait, just wait. Um, I'm supposed to, Linda said I should say something nice about my dad. Um, and I'm going to tell a very, very quick story because Linda's like, maybe you could tell, you know, she's like, do you remember when, because Linda came to my dad's apartment when the woman from the BBC came. And whenever anybody shows up, my dad gets real, like, sad. And, like, he needs to tell the story about cleaning up my apartment and finding the needles. And he's like, and I pricked my finger on a needle. <laughs> and, like, you know, but that's sad. I mean, imagine it's your kid and you go and you clean. It's, I think it's funny now. We're lucky. <laughs> We're lucky that it's funny now. But the story that I was thinking of, it was, um, it was amazing. It was, uh, it was when I met Chris at Mountainside. And, um, and that's the other really ironic thing. It's like, here we are in the Mountainside Wellness Center. And the irony is that you basically paid for DopeyCon 10 years ago just by paying for us to go there. And, and Chris paid for it like three times. So like, if you think about it, Mountainside's doing pretty good. But, but we did, um, I mean, I loved Mountainside and, I, and I'm not a great shill, aloe recovery and whatever else I have to sell. But, uh, but I really loved going to Mountainside. It was like, when I went there, it was the best treatment I had ever gotten. And I met Chris, you know, and I met this old Jewish guy and we learned how to sing harmony on Broke Down Palace, which was amazing. Um, and I left there with tools to really try to get better. And I relapsed a couple times afterwards, but it was great. And it's so amazing that they stepped in. And they stepped, they wanted to buy an ad on the show, but there was like a conflict to buy an ad on the show. And Anna, who's this amazing, tenacious marketing director, that's Anna, let's give Anna a round of applause. <laughs> Anna, Anna, like historically denied Dopey, the ad, which she still like thinks is terrible that I talk about, but I think it's very funny. Um, and then because she listened to the show, she's like, I heard you want to do an event. Can we do the event? You know? And so like the irony and the fucking 
I don't know. I guess you call it synchronicity. You can call it God. You can call it whatever you want. That uh, DopeyCon is that mountainside where Dopey really started. I mean, it's really a very beautiful thing. So let's hear it for them. Thank you very much. <laughs> Hannah, that was a good mountainside plug, right? It was like worked in nicely. And uh, let's introduce my dad. Oh, I was going to tell the story about when my dad picked me up from mountainside. It was my birthday. Uh, it was June 1st, it was 2011, and, uh, and like, I felt like I was like, it was a really bougie spot, but I felt like I was leaving jail. I had like my guitar, and I, I, I remember I brought like a ton of like thick Green Lantern comics, because when I was high, I loved to read Green Lantern, but once I stopped getting high, I couldn't read it, but it's really heavy, and then my dad took me for lunch in Great Barrington. And, uh, and I remember getting in the car and him saying, are you cured? And me being like, definitely not, you know? <laughs> and, um, and here he is, my dad, he's wonderful. Like, I wanna say one more thing before we, I'm sorry. I drive around, listen, listen. I drive around New Jersey to do this catering with, uh, with a Dominican guy whose nickname is Toast, who I've been trying to get on the show for years. He was a drug dealer. Anyway, he's talking about my dad and he says, your father is a great man. And, uh, and Toast doesn't even know my dad. But, but like, he is a great man. He's the most, uh, one of the smartest people I ever met. Uh, easily one of the most generous people you ever met. If you have to go someplace, he'll take you. You know, call him up. He'll feel bad about it, but he'll take you. <laughs> and he won't just drop you at the train station and run over your foot. He'll take you all the way home. Um, I don't know if he'd do Iowa, but he's great. <laughs> And, like, the other ironic thing is, like, I mean, me and my dad always had a good relationship, um, even when I was all fucked up, but, like, it's just, I never would have thought he'd be such a role on a drugs addiction and dumb shit podcast. So let's hear it for my dad. Let's hear it for Alan. You see, he can't stop talking, you see? <laughs> I mean, he, now he, he introduces me f 10 minutes ago. <laughs> uh, first of all, I want to welcome everybody to my neighborhood. Uh, this is Ch Chelsea, and I live five minutes from here, and anybody who is visiting New York, there's tons of stuff to see. Was, Misha's from Ireland, she came here. Anybody further than Ireland? Netherlands. Netherlands, oh, wow. Wow. Well, I want everybody to enjoy New York City, uh, the best, I'm going to say the best city in the world, but I'm not so sure anymore. Uh, but in any case, I have, I have uh, this written down here. So the first thing I have here is welcome. So I, I just did that. Uh, the next, oh, the next thing is, the reason why I'm dressed like this is because uh, if you would have listened to today's episode of the podcast, my dear son called me a nerdy Jew. That's what he called me <laughs> on, on today's podcast. So I figured I'd dress the part and make... <laughs> and make sure he, he was right. Because usually when he says anything about me, it's total baloney. For instance, the phones and what else? Uh, oh, and the gay lesbian square dancing, he's got, that, he's got that all wrong. 
all wrong. It has nothing to do with his addiction. It has nothing to do with anything except that my dear wife, Nancy, loved the square dance. And there was only one square dance place in Manhattan. It was Times Square Gay and Lesbian Square Dancing. And it was mostly gay men. And when she got on the floor, like 40 men ran after the dance with her. And when I got on the floor, nobody, nobody came. It was like... <laughs> You know, it's terrible. In any case, the phone, the phone story is not really true because I need to know these terrible phone calls you know, that come. Dad, you have six phones. Hang on. You have six phones. But, but I, have, I, have, I have to read it. All right, I, that's enough with all that stuff. In, in any case, um, listen, I am overwhelmed with how amazing that uh, you guys are. Uh, I Listen, I hate the stories. I don't think they're funny. I really don't. Uh, but I think that you get something out of it that makes me feel wonderful, and it makes me feel great, and it makes me feel that I am incredibly proud of my son, and you know I love him very much. Today, after he called me a nerdy Jew, he also said that he took my wife's medicine as she was dying. So that's the kind of stuff that parents hear. That's the dark comedy of drug It's not that funny to me, I'm telling you that much. <laughs> you know, um, and I guess, and you are all aware of all the people in your lives that have to deal with all the problems that everybody seems to have, and getting over them is, is wonderful. And uh, I, I just wish everybody the best health and, uh, and continued wonderful success in all the good things that you do, okay? Thank you. You feel good? He just, that's, that's what we call a dose of Jewish guilt at the end. So, like, if you guys are not familiar with that, you've just experienced Jewish guilt. Um, but, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's true, and it's interesting to me um, that we think it's funny. You know what I mean? Like, and I didn't steal her medicine while she was alive. It was after she was dead. And that wasn't the funny part. The funny part was that my sister found another bottle of Percocet and said, I'm so glad you didn't steal the Percocet. And that's the comedy, because I did steal the Percocet, and she found another bottle. Not that I took it, but that's the funny part, that I got away with it. That's the funny part. And, and the truth is, the truth is that the funny, I was talking to Sam, who, who couldn't come, Sam helps me make the show, and I was talking about, you know, one of my favorite things about all of this is that we, and I, and I said this to him, he, I said, we got to go to places that everybody didn't get to go to. And he said, well, we didn't get to go there. You know, we didn't get to go there. And I guess, I guess really what it is is some of us got to come back. You know what I mean? And that's the truth of it, you know? Um, I was going to play a song now, but I want to keep this thing moving. Um, so I want to introduce uh, our next guest, our next speaker. He, uh, he's on the show this week. He's come with some crazy, I don't know who, who, if you listen to this week's show, raise your hand. I'm not going to be offended. So like, does this devil stuff freak you guys out? Because it's like, Bill, this is Bill Blaber. Wait, 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 not yet, not yet. He's a new friend. He was a friend of Chris's. 
they had me at Mountainside, Bill and Jessica, and I went on their podcast, and they made it like unfortunately as long as I make dopey and you know the mountainside people aren't going to listen to an hour and a half of this but but uh, he was wonderful and he's a new friend and uh, he's been to my dad's house twice and I think he's done a nice job so uh, very dopey stuff so let's hear it for Bill Bill Blaver hey everybody welcome um you know, I thought we were going to be sitting up here together. If you heard the podcast yesterday, I said um, we would be sitting up. Yeah. Oh, well. Anyway, this is a little weird. Um, but I'm going to jump right into it. I want to give you guys a dose of dopey. I hope you think it's a dose of dopey because um, time is limited. Um, so my story is going to start after, I don't want to tell you this, where I'm about to start this story, what led up to it is another great story. Um, but I'm going to tell you a story that happened in the spring of 2003. And this is the story that led me going to rehab for the very first time. Um, so I was living in New York, okay, um, crystal meth addict, um, what I would consider a pretty bad crystal meth addict. Um, my addiction got really dark, really bad, very low bottom, in my opinion. And I was hanging out with a lot of guys who also did crystal meth. And as some of you have heard, um, there was a lot of, you know, talk about Satan and devil worship. I, know, I need to get comfortable, actually, starting to talk about that in public. Um, do you, you relate? Awesome. <laughs> um, so I was hanging out at some guy's house who was really into all this. And um, maybe one day I'll tell you all that story. But... After not sleeping for days, I decided to get up in the morning and go, not get up, I was already up, leave the place in the morning, and I was in, like, denim, like, Daisy Duke shorts, okay? <laughs> I know, I knew you were going to say that, um, but, because, you know, when you do meth, it gets so hot, so that's part of the reason, right? And I had, like, this white wife-beater tank top on, and um, so I left, and I actually drove, then I had a car, because I was living in New Jersey, but I did all of my partying in New York, and I decided to get in the car after days of not sleeping and nights of shooting up crystal meth, and I didn't know where I was going. I was just listening to voices. Voices were telling me to go out and start searching for like a really, you know, dark power, which I would identify as Satan. And um, I was driving around Brooklyn. He lived in Brooklyn. And <laughs> the next thing I knew, um, what happened was I woke up. I was in my car driving around. And the next thing I knew is I woke up and I had hit one of those sand banks when they're doing construction in the street, like if they're filling a manhole. You know what I mean? Those huge piles of sand. I literally drove right into it. And that's what woke me up. So I obviously fell asleep at the wheel. Um, didn't hurt anybody. The car got pretty banged up and was full of sand. Okay? <laughs> full of sand. But what did I do? I just backed up. And I, was, I remember I was really upset because I, wa I was on this search. And I was like, fuck. I'm not going to be able to drive anymore. But the car worked. Okay, so I backed up and I started to proceed to drive around Brooklyn. And then you gotta, you know, you have to remember I was hearing things, and I don't know if any of you have also experienced this, but I started to read license plates. License plates started to talk to me. So, like, if I saw the number, um, like, here's an example. If I saw like the letter G next to an R with the number eight, it meant something great was going to happen. And I really thought that this was Satan communicating with me. Okay, so I was driving around looking for direction in my life, and I saw a parking space. So I pulled into it, and there was this row of houses, brownstones, I think, in Brooklyn, and I got out and Daisy Duke shorts 
white tank top. Um, I think it was like 10 a.m. in the morning. It was very early. And I was deciding, trying to decide where to go. So I was looking at the numbers on the brownstones. And one of them stood out to me. And I walked up to that house thinking that maybe you know who was inside. And I was, I, I was, but I was afraid to knock on the door because I really thought maybe he's really in there, okay? And so the woman who lived in the house, I guess she sensed me being outside. So she came to the window of the door. She didn't open it or let me in. And that scared me because I realized, oh, now I'm trespassing. I realized that. So she must have called the cops because I turned around and I walked down the, the uh, driveway and was just really looking like this, like around. And then a cop car pulled up. And the cop, two cops got out of the car. They were very nice. And they were like, where are you? Know, what are you looking for? And so I was like, well, you know, I was looking for a friend of mine who I met recently. And I know he lives in this neighborhood. And he said, well, you were at that front door. Do you know that person? I said, no, I'm lost. And I hadn't broken the law at that point. But I was really, really out of it. Um, high out. I was really pro- I was probably still pretty high and looking awful. So they said, would you come with us? And I said, no, 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 no. And I started to argue with the police. And we didn't get into an altercation, but they knew I didn't belong on the street. And this was, I I can't remember what neighborhood, but it was a really nice neighborhood. So they wanted to get me off the street. So I get in the cop car, no handcuffs, and they take me down to... um, the local precinct, and actually, you know where they took me? They took me down to the precinct where New York Criminal Court is, downtown. Why they took me there, I have no idea. You know, they didn't take me to the local precinct. And um, I started to get more and more agitated, and more meth must have started, like, pumping through me because I was nervous, okay? Do any of you guys understand that? Like, even though I hadn't just used, like, I started to get really high again. And so, all of a sudden... I started yelling at the two cops in the front car. Oh, Jesus. I started yelling at two guys in the front car, like, hail Satan, okay? And thinking that, like, Satan would come and let me out of the car, okay? So they proceed to bring me into the precinct area, and there was, like you, like you see in the movies, there was, like, a little jail cell, like a holding cell. That's what it's called. And there was no one in there, so they put me in the holding cell. And I was... Livid. I was so angry, but I felt like this is why I think I had drugs running through my system because I started to feel really strong and I started to feel really powerful. And this time I thought, this is it. I'm downtown in the because I saw the big courthouse when they were taking me in, and I was like, this is it. And I grab on to the jail cell and I start shaking it. Okay, and there's a room full of cops at their desks. Okay, just like you'd see on any TV show or movie. And I start. Screaming, I can't believe I'm about to say this out loud. And I start screaming in this jail cell, Hell Satan! Hell Satan! And um, they all literally just stood there and stared at me. Okay? They were staring at me. But because, and I didn't stop and I was losing my voice. I mean, that's how hard I was screaming over and over and over. And it was like I had all this adrenaline and meth going through my body. So I heard one of them say, we need to get him out of here. We need to get him out of here. And what I know today what they meant was, we need to get him arraigned sooner rather than later. Because if any of you here have been arrested, and I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but if any of you here have been arrested, you know, like the worst part after you get arrested is, is the sitting around until you get taken to the arraignment court, right? Especially if you're high when you get arrested, because then like you're, you're coming down, you know, in, you know, in the jail area. So they took me into, now listen to this, picture this. 
I'm sure all of you have seen Law and Order. They took me into this huge courtroom, okay? And I was handcuffed, um, and they walked me in, and the court was packed um, in the, you know, like this, where all the people are sitting in the court, and then all of the people who had been arrested were sitting up front. And they uncuffed me, which to me was so strange because I'd been arrested a couple of times before and you're always cuffed until you stand up in front of the judge. But for some reason, they uncuffed me. So what did I think? (laughs) I think that Satan let let them uncuff me. So I'm sitting there and I knew I was going to be in trouble. I could just tell I was in trouble. And so I'm watching around, looking back and forth, sitting really still. Remember, I'm in short Daisy Duke shorts and a wife tank top, a, a, a white wife beater. And all of a sudden, this voice says, get up. So I slowly got up, okay? And I looked around, and like there, there was like a lawyer talking to the judge, arraigning someone else, and I went like this, and I started taking some slow steps, and I was like, let's see if someone's gonna stop me, and just kept walking. I'm walking, and it was a big courtroom, so it was a long hallway, and I just kept walking really slow, and then I got into a more normal pattern, pattern, and I was getting closer and closer to the back of the court, and getting closer and closer to the exit, and I was like, this can't be happening. I can't be getting close to the exit. Keep in mind, I just was, I was brought in in handcuffs maybe 10 minutes earlier. I get to the back door of the courthouse, I open the door, and I'm out. I got out of the courthouse, okay? And so I walked down the st- those steps and big courthouse behind me and we're in, it's right next to Chinatown, the big uh, criminal court downtown. And then I look around, there is no one following me, okay? And so I start to very quickly then like get on the regular sidewalk and walk through Chinatown. So here I am walking through Chinatown in my white tank top, my Daisy Duke shorts and uh, my black boots. And I'm walking past all these restaurants and stores and then there's one of those grates on the ground. You know those grates that like lead down into stores? All the New Yorkers will know that. And this voice said, go downstairs. So I looked up and it was a Chinese restaurant. And so the grate was open. And so I walked down the stairs and inside was the locker room where all the waiters and waitresses would change. And I walked in there and you saw all these like these uh, employees looking at me like, who is this guy? So I just turned around and I, and I walked back out of that little room and there was a long hallway. And at the end of the long hallway, there was an office and the light was on. So it was just like this, this aisle right in front of me. And so I walked down this aisle. You know, I didn't know where I was. And I just, and I didn't know what I was going to do. And I got to the office and I looked in and there was, I'm assuming the manager or the owner sitting behind this big desk full of paper. And there was a letter opener on his desk and like an old fashioned letter opener, like a sharp letter opener. And I heard this voice that said, kill this guy. And I picked up the letter opener and I went to stab the guy in the chest. And I really, at this point, went, really thought I was supposed to kill this guy. I was so weak, I was so dehydrated. I'd been up for days that I was, he took my arm, thank God, okay, and stopped me. So I immediately dropped the letter opener and I turned around and I ran. But at this point, I was really worn out. These boots were really heavy. I got back up the stairs out onto the street and I ran and I ran and 
and I ran through Chinatown. So picture that, okay? Through Chinatown, and it was lunchtime at this point. And I'm pushing people up, up, out of my way, and then all of a sudden, I get tackled. And I went right down, face smack onto the sidewalk. And I knew, and it was the cops. And it was, there were three or four of them, maybe five of them, and they were so angry. They were pissed off. They started kicking me and holding my head down on the, on the, on the cement. And I was like, what the fuck? So what I did was, my solution was, I'm just going to play dead. And I just laid there and played dead and thought that if I played dead, they'd leave, okay? And then I was like, well, they're not going to believe you're dead. So I just played like I'd passed out. And what they did was they took me into, into the back of their police car, and I was like this. So eyes closed, pretending like I was passed out. And they took me to Bellevue Hospital. And I get into Bellevue, and they, um, they handcuff me to a gurney, and they keep trying to revive me. They keep slapping my face, and they keep um, yelling at me. And I know I'm running out of time here. So what I'll say is I... The way I came to, right, I pretended like I was, I was like, oh, where am I, you know, is one of the cops took his fingers and started pinching me as if he was ripping my skin off. And I was able to, like, um, uh, what's the word? I was able to, like, not react, but eventually it was almost like he was going to pull my skin off. And so um, I woke up, and they were so angry with me, and they checked me in. I went onto a psych hold. They put me in a straitjacket. Um, and then maybe, um, since I'm out of time and I want to hear from everybody else who's going to speak today, maybe I can continue the story some other time on your podcast. But it was this incident that led me, and my parents had to come and get me out. It was taken a court, and my parents came, and they took me out. They, they, I was arraigned. I was released, because they proved that they had contacted a treatment center, and so um, they were to take me straight from there to the treatment center. And that's how my first journey of recovery started. Um, and it was a great experience. I stayed sober for a few years after that, but um, there'll be more will be revealed, because we have more, and we, I hope we get to sit in your apartment a lot more and talk. Okay, so thanks, everyone. It's been really great. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. That's a crazy story, right? I mean, that's like a classic dopey voicemail in person. And like, and, and what we need to know is uh, Bill brings the dopey, you know? He needs the details. And uh, I like that he tried to murder an owner of a Chinese restaurant, but he was too weak. Thank God he was too weak to actually murder this man. Um, but um, what was I going to say? Fucking, the coolest thing about this, besides that it's dopey, and he's telling a story like it's a dopey voice, it's like dopey, right? It's fucking cool. Um, but uh, we're actually recording this for next week. So this is the show for next week. And I think that's cool. And, um, Bill, thank you. I love that. And, uh, and how about the room, right? Isn't the room, it's like dopey Instagram come to life. It's very cool. Um, and I'm very, very, you know, like, it means something to me. Um, and like all of you guys being here, it's like, it's very meaningful and weird. Because when Chris and I started making the show, the way the show worked was I pretended we were doing a show, and Chris told stories. And, uh, and it became a show, and I always just pretended to do a show. And, like, and now it's like a real show. But it's, like, it's still the same pretend at the same time, which is just weird. I don't know how to explain that if you don't know what I mean. But that's what I mean. Anyway, we're going to move on. And... Um, this next guest is you, and um, this is Ray. Now, don't just to stay here. This is Ray. She was on the show, I want to say like 10 weeks ago, maybe, 
Something like that. And Ray was also on the show way back in the day. She was actually on the show the first time I played Forever in Debt. And she told some crazy fucking stories. And she, she actually came to my dad's house like 10, 11 weeks ago. We sat down. We recorded an amazing episode of Dopey. But before we started recording the show, I said, Ray, uh, what do you want me to call you? And she told me her full name and told me to call her her full name. And I said, Ray. This is a crazy show. You probably don't want to use your full name on the show. She's like, no, I want to use my full name on the show. I'm an interventionist. I can, this is my brand. I can use my full name on the show. So I wound up telling perhaps the greatest story I've ever told on Dopey, which is the story of me stealing the guy's car by mistake and bringing it back. And I was, not, I was sober. And, and I bring the fucking car back, and it turns out it was the same car. It was just, it's a weird story. I'll tell it another time. But... Ray calls me up and says, you have to take down the episode. I'm like, what the fuck? Why do I have to take down the episode? She's like, because you use my full name. I said, fucking Ray, you told me to use your full name. And then, and then after weeks of me pretending to not be able to take down the show or whatever, I took down the show, and Ray felt terrible. She's very sweet. Um, she felt terrible. And then, she, then yesterday, she texts me, do me a favor, use my full name at DopeyCon. I was like, are you fucking kidding? I'm never going to say your full name again. Like, I'll never say it again. Now, that's the bad part about Ray. But the good part, the good part about Ray is that four years ago, um, I was all fucked up, and I went to a meeting in Chinatown, same place where Bill tried to kill an old Chinese guy. Um, and I went to a meeting at 7.30 in the morning, and Ray was at that meeting. And... Um, and her and her sponsor and a bunch of people were just unbelievably kind to me and said they wanted me to come back. And I went to that meeting every day for a year, and Ray sat in the same seat every day for a year, and Ray shared often and qualified a couple times. And just, you know, she's very solid, and she's got amazing recovery, and she's very kind to the community, except with this fucking pulled episode. This is Ray. Welcome back to Dopey. Thank you so much. Um, it's really beautiful to see all that's happened as a result of you getting sober. And um, I want to talk, I was actually going to bring up this episode with you. Um, you know what's interesting is in my life in recovery, I don't really feel the feelings of shame like I did when I was a junkie. And I work in the recovery world, and much of my life is about talking about these things that we all need to hear so we can get connected to each other in recovery. But I had this assignment to do with someone, and um, they didn't want my name on this particular episode. So I asked Dave if he would bleep out my name, you know, so I could take this job and try to help this person. <laughs> and um, after I asked you that, I felt that I was embarrassed about who I was, because a big part of my... Um, whatever you want to call it, my ism or whatever, is about, I always was embarrassed about who I was. Um, whether I was high, whether I um, was trying to cop drugs or whatever the case was. And so it felt like a lot of that shame came back to me because I was going under the guise of what someone else was saying was right for me, which was not, you know, in hindsight, it, it doesn't matter. And a lot of people know me by my full name because I work in recovery. And the whole point that I want to 
share my experiences with you is so that we can all relate. Um, there's no other reason for you know being out there in the world and saying I'm a recovering addict, and um, I think that's the only reason why I do it is because I want to help people. Um, and when I first started working in this in this industry, you know, nobody had heard of sober companions and sober coaching and what the hell is that? Um, and so it was all for the purpose of when I was high, I would have really it would have felt really good to have a friend or someone could, who could help me get through everything. So I haven't really thought about a crazy story that I want to tell. Um, at all. I was thinking, should I tell a crazy story from using or a crazy story from recovery? What do you want? Whatever you want to do. Whatever you want to make me take down. <laughs> We're good now. It doesn't matter. Um, and, and that's the other thing is every day you have a chance. I said I was sorry to you the other day. Um, that Every time, you know, we make, we're human. We make mistakes. We get embarrassed. We, we feel uncomfortable in our skin. I think that's the nature of an addict, by the way. Um, it's certainly a trait I've had all my life. And only in maybe the last two years of my recovery have I started to think, this is me. And I don't fucking care if you like it or not, you know? I, it, I put so much substance in myself to hide who I was that, you know, now I just, you know, fuck it if they don't like you, you know? So, um, crazy story. Um, it's funny the memories that I have in this city. I was just—I was here at six thirty early, like I am to every fucking thing. I'm always early. It's the AA um, in me. Um, so I was walking around the neighborhood, just thinking about how, um, just the different memories I have of how things change, and and there's certain corners of things where I remember, you know being with someone or copping drugs on a certain corner or, you know, um, there's this area in Times Square where I went out after work and drank, drank and used so much. I didn't have, I had one shoe on and I didn't have a bag or anything. I don't even know if I had a credit card or anything at that time. And I was trying to get downtown um, and I wasn't even that far uptown. I was like on 42nd or something like that. And so I went down into the subway. There was this man that was sitting outside, and he was homeless and begging for money. And I can remember just going up to him, asking him if he could please help me get on the downtown train. And he's looking at me. I mean, it, it was actually kind of interesting because he's looking at me like he was actually worried about me, this homeless guy who's sitting there begging for money for God knows how long. I don't know. You know, he was in his own suffering, clearly. And I just was literally pleading for him to help me get money to get on the train. And um, I felt like he... There was, there was some clarity in me, because usually when I used, I was so out of my mind, I didn't have any memory of what I was doing or where I was, and it, in that moment, I actually felt like the humanness that we see sometimes when we're really messed up or when we feel really so down and depressed inside, where someone looks at us and we feel like a little bit of God or light or the universe sees us for once, you know? And he, this guy gave me money to get on the train. And he didn't even have that much in his little thing that he was, you know, and I, rem I remembered it. So I, I went back down and I took his money. And I remember I got, I, I got sober and then 
a couple years later, I really thought about this guy. It, it was like it was in me. And so I went back to find him, and, I, and he was still at this one station. It might have been a year later or two, but my mind is a little off on years. Too much brain damage, really. Um, someone will ask me, how old were you when you got married? And I said, I, don't, I just don't have no clarity, you know? Um, or someone will say, weren't you? You've lived here for that long, and you're blah, blah, blah. I just don't know. Um, <laughs> So it could have been, who knows, it could have been six months later, um, you know. But I went and I found him and I, I went up to him and I thanked him and it was just this weird moment where it wasn't like my human me and I just thanked him and gave him the money. I don't think he remembered it and I gave him a lot extra then, but I just said, you really saved me, saved me. And those moments have happened in my, along my journey, even in recovery, where I just see that it's something bigger than me, way bigger than me. Because trust me, this was not my idea. Being you know, sober, being alive for that matter, um, and wanting to be, you know, just looking at this in memory of Chris, you know, I, I, I knew Chris very well, and um, I've known a lot of addicts that haven't made it, that have died. Um, some of my very best friends, some of my clients have died right when I got there, and I see it every day. So I, I really try to think about this moment and hold on to it and for us to be as kind as we can to each other, whether we can stay sober or not, but just so that we could help each other. And um, Dave, you help a lot of people, obviously, and this is a huge uh, thing that has started from you pretending, you know? And I like that you said, you know, Chris wouldn't have the courage to come up here, but you guys would kind of support each other. I think that's what we all do, because I didn't have the courage to not be high for one minute. I mean, I was high constantly from the very, very beginning, and uh, I haven't been high for a really long time, and, uh, you know, wasn't my idea. So I'm really happy to see all your faces, and um, congrats to DopeyCon and everything. Thanks. That was awesome. And I feel like a jerk. I'm such a jerk, right? It's like, I'm just such a jerk. It's ridiculous. Because Ray, like, the real reason that I asked Ray to come on the show is because, I mean, to come on the show in the first place was because when she would share at a 12-step meeting, she would do dopey. Like, she would tell stories, like, that you don't hear in these meetings. Like, they were, like, insane stories. Like, she's chained to a radiator wearing a wife beater and Daisy Duke shorts. You know, like... Like, just stories that you don't hear. And, and that's why I really wanted her um, to do the show. And I'm such a dick. Like, I catch a resentment that she asked me to take the thing down. And I need to really rub it in, you know? And that's just what I do. So I apologize. I accept your apology. We'll get you on the show. We'll never use your last name, though. And that's what we'll do. Um, so, I don't know. I think, I think it's... Uh, I think it's amazing that, uh, I'm gonna say it like a bunch of times how amazing I think it is that we're doing it. Don't you guys think this is pretty amazing? Like, it's pretty, it's like, I did uh, the Healing Appalachia Festival, you know, and it was 7,000 people, and one guy there heard of Dopey. You know, like, one guy. And uh, that's fine, you know what I mean? Like, I, I was like, one guy and the woman who invited me. And like, it was like, you know, talking to the crowd. They were all drunk, and they were Appalachian, for Christ's sake. I was, I was the only Jew in, like, 700 square miles. Um, 
but like, uh, it was weird, it was fun, but this is what I was excited for, you know? Like, I knew that, like, we would do this, and it would be, it's like doing an episode looking at you guys, because I know you guys listen, and I think, uh, I think that's cool. You know, I think a lot of stuff about it. I can't remember anything uh, that I wanted to say, though, so we're, we're, here we are. Um, now, the next guest is, um, there's a funny story I wanted to say, but I'm going to put that off until later, because the next guest is someone I never, I don't think we ever spoke, no, we, we messaged through Instagram. Oh, we texted once. And I feel like Chris knew about you somehow. No, the way we found you is somebody in the Dopey Nation sent me a video. Of, there you go. Tara sent me a video of Namaste at home doing a, a parody of a Lord song, a parody of Royals. When she did, she did sober, and it was very, very funny. And I wrote her, I was like, maybe you could, can you send me the track of you doing it, and I'll play it at the beginning of the show. And she's like, yeah, whatever. She's got like a million followers, and she was on Adult Swim. She's like, I don't care about fucking dopey. I just, I forget no, I'm just kidding. I'm being a dick. I, I don't mean it. I don't mean it at all. But she never sent it, and then I was like, you should come on, and she's like, I want to come on, and she lived in Georgia, and then she moved back to Philly, and she's like, I want to come on the show, and I was like, maybe you should do DopeyCon, and she's like, fuck yeah, I'll do it. She had no idea what it was, but here she is, and, uh, and she's going to tell some crazy PCP story, right? You're going to tell the PCP story? So this is Namaste at Home right here. What's your real name? Joelle. Hi, so my real name is Joel Bouchard, but yeah, if you're like a sick, sad millennial addicted to social media, you might know me as Saltina Marie or a Namaste at Home Dad. And uh, before I start, thanks so much for having me. I'm sorry I ran late. I came late from my job at the Renaissance Fair. That's a joke. Um, so yeah, PCP story. Um, I think I was about like 15 or 16. And I was hanging out with my best friend, Emily, who lived across the street. And we were probably doing drugs, but drugs that weren't good enough, because we were like, yeah, like, what should we do? Are there any parties? Like, text boys. So she texts boys, and a boy that answers um, is like, yeah, I know of a party. Me and my friend will swing through. I don't ask anything about it. I don't care. Actually, I'll, the only thing I asked is, did they have drugs? And she's like, yeah, it's Chris. I'm like, oh, yeah, cool. All right. So... Chris and his friend come to pick us up. I didn't ask the friend's name. I get in the car and I'm like, can we smoke? And they're like, okay, so you guys know, have you ever noticed how anytime somebody offers you a PCP blunt, they never tell you that PCP is in it? <laughs> they just pass it to you and they're just like, I'm seeing out of a triangle. <laughs> so, I don't know, this time was different. I, I, like, and it made me realize that Prior to this, I had actually smoked PCP at least like three times, but because I knew what it was, whatever. So the guy driving whose name I didn't bother to get is like, you trying to smoke some angel dust? And I'm like, hell yeah. So I was like obsessed with the Leak Brothers and like at that point in my, t in my life, my, my whole personality was, yeah, I do drugs. I do all the drugs. Give me the drugs. So I smoked the whole PCP blunt and we end up in North Camden, which at the risk of sounding like, no, my hood's the hoodest. At that point in time, like, it was like the most dangerous neighborhood and the most dangerous city, and I wasn't a heroin or a crack addict yet. So I was like, oh my God, why the fuck did you bring me here? Like, what the fuck? But at that point in time, like, 
I can't speak because I'm high as shit, step out of the car and I immediately feel like I'm in an earthquake in a Batman movie. Get into the house and we realize it's a fucking baby shower um, for this Puerto Rican woman. No one there spoke any English. It was all these like Puerto Rican men and women and they're like late, tw- like we were two 16, 15 year old white girls like just stepping into this party, dressed up, trying to like look as cute as possible so we can go do drugs because that's what you do, I guess. And I, I'm like... All the walls were painted orange. There was no furniture. No offense to them. I think they had just moved in, but like, there's, you know, like, when you go to, there was like rice and bean platters like on the floor. Like, I, I, it was fucking, like, it would have been really fucking weird if I wasn't on PCP, but because I was, I was just like, <laughs> so I step in and there's all these like women look holding babies and staring at us like, why? And I'm just like, I'm so sorry about being here, but I was promised drugs. <laughs> And immediately I start talking to, like, I kept blacking out. Like, I, I remember talking to some guy who said his name was Sky, but I think that was made up. Um, blackout, come to, and I tell stories, like, I tell stories all the time. I do it constantly, even back then. So I black out and I come to, and I'm sitting on, like, a picnic table in the backyard, sitting, like, cross-legged, or lotus position, not, yeah, namaste style. And I'm like waving my hands in the air and I realize I'm in the middle of telling a story and there's all these like men, of course all the women don't want anything to do with us, all these like men sitting on the ground looking up at me like, and I'm like, wait, these guys don't even know what I'm saying and I don't know what I'm saying. So fuck this entire situation. So I just get up and start walking away. I black out and I come to again and this was actually weird for me So like, it was strange because even though I was like a massive drug addict, like I wasn't sexually promiscuous. Like I did heroin before I ever had sex. So like I didn't really hook up with random people. But when I come to, I'm making out on the floor with the guy who drove us to the party and my friend is getting fucked doggy style on a, some mattress on the floor in the same room. And I'm like, oh my God, like I don't want to be doing this. So I pull away and I'm like, listen, I am so sorry, but I had no idea that I was doing this right now. So do you mind if we just like talk? And he's like, yeah, sure, baby. It's no problem. Like whatever you want to do. He was really nice. And I'm like, okay, so like, what's your name? He's like, oh, sweetie, my name's Joel. And I'm like, listen, why, why would you say that? He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, you know, my name's Joel. Like, stop fucking with me. He's like, what are you talking about, bitch? Like, my name's Joel. Like, don't fuck with me. Like, I'm high right now. I'm like, dude, stop fucking with me. Like, you know I smoked that whole PCB blunt. Like, just tell me your name. And then we just went back and forth. Like, no, my name's Joel. No, my name's Joel. And we both pull out our IDs and his name's actually Joel. And like, (laughs) that's how I learned my name's also a uh, Hispanic male name. So, yeah, like at that point, we kind of bonded a little bit and my friend's just like, ah, ah, getting pounded in the back. So I'm like, trying to ignore that. Um... But yeah, let's flash back a couple of years back before me and my friend were, we were already best friends. And at that point, we probably just like smoked weed and hung out and like talked about like, yo, what if this crazy scenario? And one time she's like, what if like I was fucking this guy? But then when I orgasmed, I just started making the whole like "Ah," Mario noise when he dies. Like, wouldn't that be funny? And so I don't know. She just used to say that all the time. But yeah, so flash forward. I'm talking to the guy, I don't remember what the fuck he was talking about because blackout state, I make eye contact with my friend as she's getting fucked doggy style and she's like, I could tell she's about to come. She's like, ah, and then she goes, looks at me in the eyes and goes, ah, and I'm like, I, I need 
to go. Like, like it's time to go. Like, you're done, because I know what that means. <sighs> so, yeah. Um, that's pretty much the end of that story. We did drive home. It wasn't a bad trip. I actually, like, I'd probably smoke PCP again. Just kidding. <laughs> By accident. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, she freaked out in the car, and then, like, her parents got involved, and that was it. Okay, thanks. Yo, that was so good. That's so good. I should have saved you for later in the night. That was such a good story. The, uh, yeah, that would be great. I would love that. Um, all right. Um, I had a lot of stuff to talk about. A weird thing happened, and I want to tell you the story. Um, you guys remember uh, when Andy Dick came on the show? So, like, I've been trying to get Andy Dick. People don't like Andy Dick, you know? And he was very drunk on the show, but, like, it was funny, you know? And he was crazy, and he stayed on the phone for so long. He was at a museum, and he just kept talking. Anyway, so um, I've, I, throughout the year and a half, maybe two years since Andy Dick was... How long has it been? Maybe a year and a half since Andy Dick was on the show. I text with him all the time, but he never knows who I am, okay? And I'm always like, yo, Andy, what's going on? And he's like... Hey, or like, I'm like, yo, Andy, what's going on? And he's like, what do you want? And then I'm finally like, dude, it's Dave from Dopey. I want you to come back on the show. I heard you got sober. He's like, I'm sober. I'll come on the show, but you have to pay me. And I was like, I was like, oh, dude, I don't, I don't make that much money. He's like, neither do I. I was like, uh. I was like, I don't know. And and then I was like, fuck it. And the, the ironic part is the story where I stole the guy's car. I was on the phone with Andy Dick. And I was on the way to the Mexican place. I was on the phone with Andy Dick, and I was super excited because I had decided I would pay him. Andy Dick was sober. I was going to pay him to come on the show, and it was going to be great. Stole the guy's car, bring it back, come home, and I'm saying to Linda, I don't want to pay Andy Dick. He's fucking rich. Why are we going to pay Andy Dick? Linda's like, you should pay him. I was like, I'm going to think about it tomorrow. The next day, he like went to New Orleans. He got punched in the head outside a club, and now he's like all fucked up. I think he's relapsing, whatever. The other night, I'm putting my daughter to bed, and I'm like, I'm gonna text Andy Dick and see what he's up to. So I text Andy Dick, and I'm like, what's going on? And he's like, hey. And I'm like, well, what's going on with you? And he's like, could you send me a picture? Okay, Andy Dick says, can you send me a picture? And I know what this is about, you know? Andy Dick doesn't know who I am. He thinks it's some, somebody he's looking to hook up with or whatever. And, um, and I'm sitting in the dark, okay? I'm rocking my 15-month-old to bed, texting with Andy Dick, and he says, send me a picture. And, like, and I just can't help myself. So I, I put the baby down, and I hold the phone out, and I hit the flash button, and, and there's like this very creepy picture of me in the dark. And I send it to Andy Dick. And I'm just like waiting for him to respond. And it's like, it's like all of a sudden I'm dating Andy Dick, and I'm like, why isn't Andy Dick responding? And, um, and I felt very bad, because he didn't respond. And then in the morning, I get a text from him, and he writes, how old are you? And I was like, oh my god. So, Andy Dick will be back on Dopey soon. I don't think he's connected me with him and this thing yet, but that's a funny Andy Dick story. But um, next up, if you listened to the Healing Appalachia concert, or show, you know I traveled with a wonderful man. His name is Ray. And Ray, I still have to pay Ray for airfare, 
fucking rental car, all this stuff. Ray, I owe you a lot of money. I apologize. I owe Ray a ton of money. So I'm going to pay Ray. Could be a movie, like Kill Bill, pay Ray. Um, I'm going to pay Ray soon, hopefully. Yeah, Ray, I'm going to pay you very soon. But um, Ray has been on the show. Ray is another, another Ray who was on the show that asked me to take him off the show. It was with Chris. He came to my apartment with Chris. He told a story about injecting PCP. And then he, was, and then he told a story about jury duty. And then he said, you got to take me off the show. Because he didn't want his husband to hear about it. And it was, it was classic. So I didn't take him off the show, but I took his name off the show. And it says special guest. And Ray, uh, he, he, didn't, he didn't make me take the episode down. Right, Ray? It's not down. It's still up, Ray. It's totally still up. But Ray also did, did a song for us for the 100th episode, a classic dopey song. Um, and so he's going to come, he's going to play that song, he's going to play another song, and then we're going to have a quick intermission. But let's hear it for my very good friend, Ray Brown. I think I was the first person to ask to have the show take it down. Definitely. Is he, is he amplified? Is he okay? They said, I think I was. You know, Linda had a series of episodes that you saw those. No, this is vocal. Um, Dave was the first person I contacted for help because I knew he was in uh, AA or NA. Uh, it didn't really work right away. Um, I used to play gigs in Brooklyn. The way I would get home. I knew I would be in a blackout, so I would find anyone who lived in Manhattan, and I would say, when you're leaving, get me and take me home with you. And I got this guy, and I, we were walking down the street, and I just said, um, I just have to go into the liquor store and get a bottle of vodka. And I came out drinking it, and I offered him some, and he's like, no, I don't drink. And I said, are you in AA? He said, yes. I said, can you help me? And that, that guy became my sponsor. And then he moved in with me. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> I built a shack in my apartment, and he left his wife, and he moved into the shack, and then there was one night, he like text, we would text from bed to bed, and he texted, how are you? And I was like, I'm drunk, I'm drinking in bed right now. But it's all worked out. <laughs> this dopey, dopey podcast, yeah. that's coming in your ear, with heroin and ketamine. Methamphetamine and beer. Chris and that other guy, you know, the hot one. Everybody wants to fuck. <laughs> Just thought I'd throw in a visual for the listeners. Now you know. Good luck. <laughs> so download the podcast, start the car, let's get on the way. Hey, let's go. Dopey podcast is starting up. Welcome to the. Welcome to the. Welcome to the. Welcome to the show. Last year I was in Dublin, I was invited to a chemsex party, and I said, no thank you, I don't want to come to, you, to your friend's chemsex party. And then, a couple days later, I met the host of the chemsex party at the Irish Film Institute, and I fell in love at first sight, 
and I wrote this song that night. I wanna kiss you at the IFI, destroy your relationship, get a bunch of MDMA, and lure you back to my lair. I could listen to you talk about your dad for a hundred thousand years. When I'm with you, I don't exist. Please come in my mouth. Take my money, take all my money. It's all yours to take. Sleep in my bed at night, I will. Sleep at your feet, you make me crazy. You make me crazy, you make me feel so high. The world's electric now I love you, I love you so much I would do G for you I would do K Buy you a mansion on Grosvenor Square And lock you away, yeah Lock you away, oh Lock you away, yeah I would buy you a mansion on Grosvenor Square and lock you away, lock you away. Who's, who's here from Ireland? Is there someone here from Ireland? Oh, okay. So yeah, you know about the ketamine. <laughs> Ireland is awash in ketamine, it's crazy. Okay, I'm going to do one more short song. Thank you, Dave, for inviting me. We had a great time in West Virginia. I've been so lazy Living in my head I haven't even raked leaves Living without you Got a little bit better I can see you through the trees and the Grand Canyon's getting deeper, deeper and wider every day. Could you meet me down by the river? Could you find it in your heart? To meet halfway I was broken And I was forgiven Now it's on your hands It hurts so much When I had to call Ronnie I've never felt Getting deeper, deeper and wider every day. Could you meet me down by the river? Could you find it in your heart to meet halfway? I'm not a dark dude. I just wanted the lights low I needed to see you From up here 
Whenever I need you You're a no-show And that's been happening All year And the Grand Canyon's getting deeper Deeper and wider every day Could you meet me down by the river? Could you find it in your heart to meet halfway? Oh, could you find it in your heart to meet halfway? Thank you. Thank you, Dave. Aiden and Cormac, you good? Yeah, baby. Yeah. All right. Um, so the show's been pretty good, I think, right? I think it's been good. And I think that's a, another funny hallmark of the show is like, as I do the show, I often will ask whoever I'm doing the show with, is this good? And then, and then there was the really bleak period, you know, after Chris, whenever, when Chris and I would do the show, I never asked if the show was good. I always knew the show was good. And I also... Uh, didn't really care because like it didn't matter when, when Chris and I did the show it was like two things like totally leaning on each other and it, it was always like that you know it was it was like that because um you know it's funny because we were both retarded you know that's why and I was just having this conversation somebody's like very offended if I use the word retarded so I apologize to anybody who's listening to the show who's offended when I say Chris and I were retarded it was just we were we were retarded in, a, in not a learning deficient way. So, but I don't like to offend anybody. I just, we were just retarded. But it was like, thank you. Um, it was totally like, um, and I, I remember we did the first few episodes and, and there was a lost one and, uh, and Linda and I weren't back together. And, uh, and I would drive to get our daughter and I was like, I'm gonna listen to Dopey in the car. See how it sounds in the car. And, uh, and I listened to like the second episode in the car. I was like, this show is great. I, I like called Chris. I was like, dude, this show is really good. He's like, oh, you think? And um, I was like, it's good. And then, so every time we would put out a show, and if it wasn't good, I would say to him during the show, this episode is fucking terrible. And like that would make it good, you know, every time. It was like it never disappointed. And we did a bunch of episodes that weren't actually good. But just the fact that we did them together made them great, you know? And, um, and after he died, uh, obviously we had a bunch of incredibly sad episodes in a row. Um, and then I tried to get the show back in gear. And I started like texting people I didn't even know was the show okay? Like people on Twitter, like there's this Canadian guy, Mike, on Twitter, who I know, Mike on Twitter is up early. So it'd be like Saturday morning and I'd be like, dude, did you listen to the show? Did it sound okay? And he'd be like, yeah. And I think I did that with a lot of people. You know, a lot of people that I didn't know, I would be like, is it okay? And then that's how I got Sam working on the show, is I didn't know if the show was good. So he'd be like, send me the show. So I would send him the show every week just so he could tell me it was okay. You know, but that's how, that's how fucked up and insecure I am. That I really need someone to tell me it's okay as I'm doing it. So I think it's an addict quality. You know, I'm sure like you got, some of you guys could relate to that. Maybe not all of you. And how good was Ray? Grand Canyon. 
It was so good. That was so beautiful. Um, and thank you for coming, and thank you for uh, coming with us uh, to West Virginia with the Dopey Nation. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Um, so, I'm going to pivot. Uh, it's a day at Katz's, and I'm waiting tables, and my life is, is pretty good, actually, but I hate waiting tables, so my life wasn't great. And, um, but I was very busy. I believe it was a Saturday, and Saturdays are very busy at Katz's. And I'm running around with fries, and this dude kind of grabs my elbow, and I look at him, and he looks at me with these crazy eyes, and he says, I like your podcast. And, I, and whenever that happened, I'd be touched. You know what I mean? I'd be like, holy shit, somebody listens to the show, and he's here, it's so cool. He goes, I, I, wrote, I wrote this book, I want you to have a copy of it. And he gives me this beautiful book, and it's got all these awards on it, and, and the, the book is called Another Bullshit Night in Suck City. And I was like, wow, that's... That's a fancy-looking book, and what a fucking great title. Another Bullshit Night in Suck City. I could relate to that title. And then, and then I start reading the back, and it's like award after award after award. And I was like, I thought this guy was crazy. And he's this big-time writer. And then I go, then I go to uh, one of the managers at Katz's, and I said, look, this guy just gave me the book. And he says, I think he's married to this big-time actress. So I ran up to him and I, before he left, I said, and his name is Nick. And I said, Nick, are you married to this big actri- actress? And he's like, what, you thought I was some crazy dude off the street. I'm a big time writer. What do you want from me? <laughs> anyway, from there, uh, I got to become friends with this big time writer, Nick Flynn. And uh, we hung out and uh, he came on the show. He was excellent on the show. He's written at least six books, if not eight. How many books you wrote, Nick? At least eight. And uh, Another Bullshit Night in Suck City went on to become a major motion picture starring Robert De Niro who Nick Flynn probably has on his phone. If he wants to call him right now, he can call him. But he, uh, he honors us with his presence. Like, I think it's so fucking cool that uh, Nick Flynn is part of this thing. And he invented the dopey poetry corner, which I've kind of abandoned. But we'll come back to that one day. But here he is. He, he definitely brings some class to this operation. The great Nick Flynn. Thank you. Thanks. Um, yeah, it's so good to be here. Uh, hi, everybody. Uh, yeah, that day, it was a strange day. I, I was so moved by uh, the podcast, by Dave and the podcast. I didn't, I didn't uh, jump in until after Chris had passed. Uh, but I, I, just, I would listen to it in my, uh, in my ears. Uh, like on, a, on my bike, it would just be such a strange thing. I'd, get, I'd be moving along, and I'd, I'd get so moved by listening. I'd, I'd listen to the episodes before Chris died. Uh, and I get so moved by it, and then I just, yeah, I was just compelled to go and stalk you at the, yes. at the thing. Yeah, you're not, you're not hidden so well by the dopey thing, by the way. <laughs> it was really easy. It was really easy to, it's really easy to find you there. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I feel very fortunate. I, I, I was writing, you know, I've been writing for my whole life, but you know, in my 20s, you know, I, I sort of quit using for the first time at the end of my 20s, and uh, I was one of the really lucky ones because I just couldn't write anything when I was using. I was just like, I, I don't know how people do it, how people write and use. I just don't, I would just write utter gibberish that I couldn't read the next morning. Um, and so I, I felt very lucky because I really, only reason I quit using and, and drinking was so I could write. And, and it, it worked. I quit using and I, I wrote. And then I started using again. <laughs> and then I had to quit again. 
Um, but so I'll read, I'll read a few poems. I'm going to read poems. Yeah, that's the thing, too, with, uh, with, with he said the, the, this, there is a dopey uh, uh, poetry corner, and I, I send poems to, to Dave every week, and he, he loses them every that's week. That's not true. <laughs> how, how many have you lost? One. <laughs> it wasn't even yours. <laughs> I, I, I'm holding out until he plays. I, I sent it to him more than once. That's why I can say more than once. Five. Five. <laughs> I don't think he likes poetry. Uh, so I'll read a few poems uh, to, to go on. This is called My Joke. As I put the pipe to my lips, as I lift the flame to the glass, my joke, as the smoke fills me, Say goodbye to Nick, even if I am the only one in the room. And by the end, I was always the only one in the room. That's a happy poem. Yeah. <laughs> okay. This is from a book called My Feelings. Yeah, I'm glad you get it. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't think it was serious. Uh, this is called Philip Seymour Hoffman. Last summer, I found a small box stashed away in my apartment, a box filled with enough Vicodin to kill me. I would have sworn that I'd thrown it away years earlier, but apparently not. I stared at the white pills blankly for a, while, for a long while. I even took a picture of them before finally, definitely throwing them away. I'd been sober again for some years when I found that box, but every addict has one, a little box, metaphoric or actual, hidden away. Before I flushed them, I held them in my palm, mar marveling that at some point in the not-so-distant past it seemed a good idea to keep a stash of pills on hand. For an emergency, I told myself. What kind of emergency? What if I needed a root canal on a Sunday night? This little box would see me through until the dentist showed up for work the next morning. Half my brain told me that, while the other half knew that looking into that box was akin to seeing a photograph of myself standing on the edge of a bridge, a bridge in the familiar dark neighborhood of my mind, that comfortable place where I could somehow believe that fuck it was an adequate response to life. Very serious. I, I didn't, uh, by the way, I didn't flush the, um, some people get disturbed, I didn't actually flush the Vicodin, I put them in the trash, because people say if you flush them, then the, then the, the, the fish get all fucked up. Um, somebody told me that afterwards, I said I didn't flush them, but I, I wrote that in the poem because I was afraid my friends would go in the trash and look for them. If I, if I didn't say I flushed them, so I did it so that you wouldn't go in the trash. <clears throat> This is called A uh, Poem to be Whispered by the Bedside of a Sleeping Child. This is from uh, my new book. It's called I Will Destroy You. The last one, <laughs> the last one was called My Feelings, and uh, I thought that, would, that felt a little soft, so I <laughs> called this one I Will Destroy You. And it's got a picture of my daughter on the cover dancing with a giant beast. Um, and so this is Poem to be Whispered by the Bedside of a Sleeping Child. Here's the deal. If you die then I will be able to drink again. And no one alive will even blame me. This child is the dark wind inside, but not the darkest. Then I think, 
I'll have another child, a backup, in another city, with another woman, just in case. Then I think, I'll call this poem to be whispered by the bedside of a sleeping child, so when you're older, you'll understand. Then I think, this isn't even a poem. I can always tell the addicts in the room that laugh at that poem. Um, <laughs> and, so, and then everyone laughed at that poem here. And this is the last one I'll read. Uh, yeah, this is called Jesus New, because uh, we had that, that satanic invocation earlier. Um, and so I thought I should bring some Jesus <laughs> to battle with the demon. Jesus knew. Unlike you and I, Jesus knew he'd die. Some days a headache woke him. It lingered. Nothing terrible. But the word hung around his temples like this. But the word hung around his temples like this uh, soul everyone wants but can't find. Jesus knew he'd die. He just didn't know how. And that bothered him sometimes. And then he'd do one of his little tricks. What the hell? Didn't hurt anyone. Didn't make anyone disappear forever. But the tricks stopped working. He forgot why he did them and what for. He confused a story about a guy named Jesus with a story about a father he never knew. And it all began to hang like a moth-eaten coat, pulled out of a trunk on a shaky day. Hey, Let's return to the scene of the fucking tragedy. At least we all know how it turns out, instead of this endless uncertainty. Hey, let's sell our souls a few more times. No one's really counting. Those little papers you trade for your sins, what do you call them? Anyone? No? Anyway, Jesus this, Jesus that, God of nickel, God of dime, right. The real Jesus... He was lost. He walked into the desert, not far really, but his friends, his disciples, he told them he'd come back. Like us, he said this, he said this every time he left, but Jesus never said wait, never pointed to the sky, never claimed he'd rise again, never asked us to eat his flesh. Jesus never asked for anything, as far as I can tell. He got tired every day and then slept Sometimes okay, sometimes unbearable, the dreams, the father pointing a finger at everyone, a finger we can't even look at. Thank you. All right, that was awesome. Fucking Nick Flynn, right? Let's give it up to Nick Flynn. I'm like, I'm like hypnotized. It's like, I don't really like, po I, I, I think I was walking with my friend Devin, and I said to him, uh, you know, I think poetry's just bullshit, man. You know, I, I think, I, what did I say? I, I think I said, uh, I said, I think bullshit artists are the best poets, is what I said. And then here, here's Nick. He's just dazzling me with poetry. It's just so beautiful. So it's true that bullshit artists are the best poets. No, it's... <laughs> It's beautiful, and you really do class up this joint, and I'm very touched uh, to have you be a part of this thing. And he's a good friend. He's, he's helpful. He gives me a lot of good recovery shtick, right? Yeah, it's good. Yeah, thank you. 
Um, so uh, Mountainside was uh, generous enough to buy everybody a black and white cookie. Now, many people came up to me and said, what the fuck, Dave? That's not black and white in every bite. Now, let's talk about this for a second. This is a black and white cookie. Is it, is it a good cookie? I haven't tried it. I, I'm totally tempted to take a bite and talk at the same time, just in the tradition of the show. I'm sorry, everybody with misophonia out there. Hold on. We would do the show when I would come home from work, be late at night, and I would be starving. And we would order Vietnamese food or Indian food, and somehow I thought it would make the show sound more natural if I did it while I ate. Like, that's what I thought. I, I mean, like, and then there's a thing on Seinfeld, like, where George Costanza would answer the phone while he'd eat an apple because he thought he sounded more masculine when he's eating an apple. And I kind of felt like that about the Indian food. And that's when the emails started coming in. And it, and it like, it literally, it hurt me to the core. I would be waiting tables at Katz's and I'd be checking my email. And it's like, you're disgusting, Dave. And then it's like, and I'd get so angry. And I'd be like, what the, and then I'd be like, I'm sorry if you don't like the sound of me eating and talking at the same time. And like Chris, and Chris loved this. You know, he just, he loved to see me the fool, you know, because I love to make him the fool. Anyway, it's just, just one of those things. Now, with this cookie, the truth of the, of the Othello, it centers around this bite between the black and the white. And it happened on a day, probably four years ago, uh, in May or something. And that's Devin right there with the grayish white hair and glasses. And Devin was at my house, and we were smoking pot, and we were getting really high. I, actually, we were at Katz's. I'm going to tell the story because I love the story. I was at Katz's. Devin was not there. And I'm working, and I'm thinking about going home and getting high with Devin. And... Um, I see this Dominican kid, probably named Joel, and he's on the back counter, and he's taking a black and white cookie and cutting the frosting off of it. I'm like, what the hell is this guy doing? And he cuts the fucking frosting off the black and white cookie, and he puts it together, and he takes a bite. And I'm like, holy shit. I just, like, my, my mind is just fucking leveled. Like, I just, I can't believe it. So I, like, end the shift. I change my clothes, whatever. Um, and I'm, I'm just about to leave. Devin's like, where are you? I'm like, I'm coming. I, I run back to the back counter, and I grab two black and white cookies. I'm like, this is going to be something. And I go home. And, and Devin comes over, and we get really high. And um, we smoked some weed, whatever. We're sitting there. We, Devin's not shooting dope. Devin's smoking pot with me. And um, not that it matters, but I think the distinction is necessary with this audience, just so you know. <laughs> Um, anyway, so me and Devin are stoned, and uh, I was like, dude, I saw this kid at work, and he cut the frosting off, and he put it together. But first, I think I took a bite out of the middle, and I said, you know, Devin, I don't really like the black and white cookie, but what I do like is a bite that has both black and white in the bite. And he said, interesting. He said, black and white in every bite. I said, black and white in every bite. And I cut the frosting off the cookie, and I put it together, and I said, it's black and white in every bite. And he said, it's black and white in every bite. And we got, like, into it, you know? And um, 
Now, then I started thinking, this is something. This is, this is something. It's a, it's a new thing. It's a cookie. It's black and white in every bite. It's a reimagining of the black and white cookie. We should, it needs a name. A great dessert needs a name. What do we call it? Devin's like, I don't know. What are you talking about? It's not even that good. Devin, it's too sweet. That's what he said. It's too sweet. It was. It was too sweet. But I like things that are too sweet. Um, and that's when I thought of the game Othello. The chips. Who played Othello? Nobody here played Othello. When you went in the 70s, there was a game called Othello. There were chips. On one side, they were black. The other side, they were white. The goal of the game is to turn all the chips one color. I said, the cookie's going to be called an Othello. It's a two-sided black and white cookie. It's black and white in every bite. And we were very satisfied with this. And then I started seeking out bakers to make the Othello cookie. And I found this Dominican baker, not named Joel, named Crystal, spelled all fucked up, because Dominicans spell their names all fucked up. Um, and she was a weed baker, and, uh, and she baked a ton of delicious cannabis-induced sundries. And I said, I have this idea. And she started baking the Othello without weed, but because the oven was full of weed stuff, the fucking Othello tasted like bud and didn't get you high. It was like the worst of both worlds. And, um, and then we had, then we had the, the third, the, the best part of the Othello is the shtick, which is we were going to create the black and white and every bite Othello. Then we were going to create the white on white cookie, which is all of the privilege and none of the guilt. And then, of course, the best one is the black on black cookie, which is so delicious it could be a crime. And, 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 and like, we were going to do packs of three, the Othello, the white on white, and the black on black. And like, you know, Anna said, Anna, she's gone. She's going to listen to the podcast eventually. She said, Dave, we should make Othellos for DopeyCon. I was like, Anna, don't get crazy. And she, and, I, and she said, well, if I did it, I think Mountainside would have to own the Othello. I said, what? And I got angry, because that's how I get. Um, but anyway, so she came with the black and white cookies, and, and I just wanted to tell the story of the Othello, because what's not to love about the Othello, right? All right, so we're taking a short break from DopeyCon, and now it is a week later. It's tonight, Friday night. I'm at home, I'm in the attic, and I'm about to put out the DopeyCon episode. But the next speaker at DopeyCon was actually uh, Tim from Dank Recovery Memes, and Tim's presentation was all visual. So next week, uh, I'm going to put up Tim's presentation uh, as the slideshow on the Patreon page, and Tim's going to have it for his Instagram page. But um, just want to say DopeyCon was incredibly meaningful and emotional and cool to see everybody. I just want to say that first. The second thing I want to say is uh, I didn't talk about uh, a bunch of people who, uh, who died who were fans of the show, and I wanted to mention them. I wanted to mention Andrew, and I wanted to mention Dave, and I wanted to mention Troy, and I wanted to mention Scott. And uh, this morning I was looking at Instagram, and somebody messaged me, uh, a woman who was married to a dopey fan named Gary, and it turns out Gary was an addict who was really struggling, and, uh, and he took his life, she wrote me, which was very sad. So this is all very meaningful because... As a bunch of drug addicts, it's very easy for us to die. We're very delicate. 
drugs are very powerful, and it's important that you guys realize that. Um, and I just want to put that in there. You know, just I think it's an important piece of our story that what we fuck with, what we think is fun, can ultimately kill us. And the flip side to that is uh, we can get better, and we don't have to die, and we don't have to use. And Mountainside, who put together DopeyCon and who had us there with all this beautiful art and cookies and posters and shit, uh, they actually are putting together a scholarship, which I think we're going to name the Toodles for Chris Mountainside Scholarship, which they will take uh, a member of the Dopey Nation who needs treatment. So if anybody out there, uh, I think it's going to be in December that they're going to take somebody. So if anybody there is using and thinks they're going to be ready to go to treatment in December, you know, let me know. Nobody relapsed to go to Mountainside because only one person gets to go to this scholarship. But it's very, very cool that they are going to pay for it. So onward into DopeyCon. And this is after Tim from Dank Recovery did his incredible PowerPoint presentation, uh, which you'll see next week. All right. Well, I want to say, first of all, thank you, Tim. Let's hear it for Tim. Um, there, um, I mean, the thing about all of this is I think that um, it's so funny, like, for, like, my dad to look at, like, if I'm eating a McDonald's chicken sandwich, it's probable I'm back on fentanyl. Like, what is my dad thinking when he sees He doesn't understand that. But it's so funny to me, you know? I, I swear to God, each meme spoke to me in this incredibly personal way. And, like, and if it didn't speak directly to me, I heard Chris saying it to me. Like, the bell ringer thing. Like, Chris loved to talk about shooting coke, and I said, that was a bell ringer. I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? And here it is in the meme. I mean, it's like, it's like, um, and also Tim flew in from St. Louis to be here, which is incredibly meaningful to me. And, like, his meme community is so parallel to our Dopey Nation, except it's much bigger and more famous, but, um, and more talented, yeah. But besides that, it's very similar, you know. I, I couldn't think of a fucking meme if it saved my life. I look at pictures and I'm like, maybe I can come up with something and send it to Tim, but no, nothing's coming to me. But, um, it's amazing, though, like, that we, we are all about this thing, where shame turns to humor, and, and then it just cycles through some fucking re-thing, or I don't know, reconditioner. But this stuff is so true for, for all of us, and, it, and it's so ridiculous, you know? But um, I'm so proud to, that you came, and it makes me so happy that you came, and, and I think you showed something that we all feel, and we all, we're all in the bathroom looking at your fucking Instagram page. So it's like, thank you for that, and thank you for coming. Let's hear it for Tim, please. Um, it really means a lot to me, it really does. And, and I think that, um, that like, it is another way to look at, um, at getting better. You know, and I'm not a person who knows anything really about getting better except don't use, go to a meeting, whatever. Like, I, I'm not the person that gets anybody better. I like to make a show that's funny and stupid and, you know, it just happens to be about this, you know? Um, I was incredibly fortunate to have met um, Chris. And I was very, very fortunate that Chris 
liked my stupid web series and he was like jealous that I made this stupid web series and he's like I want to do something and I was like I have an idea and it turns out the idea that I had I stole from my friend Brad and I didn't give Brad credit for years and he still has a resentment against me so Brad Katz came up with the idea for Dopey okay if you didn't know now you know but Brad's not a fucking addict Brad is a guy he's a brilliant editor in California and he put together a podcast with famous people including Artie Lang he would take their drug stories and he made this thing. There was no host, there was no nothing. And I, and I was like, Brad, this isn't very good. He's like, yeah, but it's a good idea. And Chris was like, I want to I, I do something. And then I remembered Brad's idea. So that's how Dopey happened. And um, obviously, Chris is not around to enjoy this incredible turnout. And, um, and it sucks, you know? And any of us could have been Chris. You know, and we all work, Chris, and we all know somebody. Um, and after Chris died, um, I, had, I had gone to his funeral, and we did a show with his friends. And I, I was incredibly hesitant about having his sister come on the show because I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't want to do it on the phone. You know what I mean? I didn't have to, I didn't have to do that. And... Um, and we had done a podcast with Arden on the phone when Chris was alive. And Chris, and I think Chris lost it or something went wrong with it. But, um, yeah. Um, but when I organized DopeyCon, when DopeyCon was going to happen, it seemed uh, incredibly important that Arden O'Connor, Chris's sister, come. Um, it was incredibly important to me. Um, and Arden had been around Dopey the whole time. I had had a million like business meetings with Arden on the phone, how to make it bigger, how to make it better. But I wanted Arden to come because it seemed to me the closest way to have Chris come. And, um, and I think all of us loved Chris. Uh, if we knew him or if we didn't know him, he was incredibly lovable and brilliant and funny and great and, and retarded. Uh, forgive me, anybody who's offended by that. Um, and... Um, I want Arden to, you know, to speak for herself, speak for him, whatever. Let's welcome Arden O'Connor, please. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Um, thank you for having me here tonight. I want to thank Mountainside, too. It was one of the first places my brother Chris, I think, even opened the door a little bit towards recovery. And I got to give him credit because they're a big deal in the addiction treatment space. They're a great program. And Chris asked me when we first started, I don't know if you remember this, Dave, but he said, hey, could you, I run a little addiction company, very small consulting practice, and he said, could you link our podcast to your website? And my answer was, absolutely fucking not. <laughs> I said, that's just what I need, is some mom to call me and say, little Johnny heard one of your idiot brother's stories, and now went from being a marijuana user to a meth user, and then I'm going to be all in trouble. So I think it's very brave of them to do this. I also think it's the right, <laughs> I do, I think it's very brave. I also think it embodies what Mountainside's all about, which is no one way for recovery works for everyone, and they've got Great clinicians, great experiential stuff. I'm not being paid to say this, but I, I truly believe it. Um, and I believe in the community that's here. So I'm Chris's older, normie, nerdy sister. Um, and I was trying to think about what, what I'd want to do when I came up here. I speak probably twice a week about addiction. 
I t- share Chris's story a lot um, because people want to know why. I guess Chris referred to me as the double H. By the way, that is not a term I used for myself, but his nerdy older sister goes out and speaks about addiction, and everyone's like, why would this whitewashed, preppy lady, I don't normally dress like this, um, why does she have anything to do with this field? And it was all because of Chris's story. Um, So tonight, when I was putting my nerdy little outfit together, uh, I said, what would make Chris smile? And I knew if he saw me in a nightshirt and in a dopey hat that he gave me that signed, he would be smiling down for me, hopefully in heaven. I hope that's where he is. Um, I'm praying it's not somewhere else. So I'm going to share a story that I think you guys have probably heard, but I will say it from, again, the very nerdy older sister uh, perspective. I loved Chris very much. We were very alike in many ways, people who knew us. We had a lot of similarities. Um, He was actually smarter than me, which always pissed me off. I was the nerd in school who had to study my ass off to do well in the SATs. And similar to Dopey, where he would vape his way through a conversation, he would sort of stroll in with a pencil behind his ear, sit down, and ace them. And it always drove me crazy. Um, and, and I've always said, like, you did, you did school very well, and you tried very little, and did enormously well, and you did addiction very well, too. Um, so one of his relapses, and I'm sure he's told this, I will confess, I've heard a lot of the episodes of Dopey. I can't listen to all of them. Some of them, it's, you know, the, you hear the goldfish tank in the background, and Chris is getting up to heat his Chinese food, and I'm like, okay, what, we're a minute, an hour and 37 minutes in here. <laughs> Let's keep it moving. Um, and I will say, Alan, you know, I feel like my parents, I, I said to my mom, I have a pretty, I like to think a pretty good sense of humor. And I was with Chris in some of his best moments and some of his worst, which I'll describe in a minute. Um, but I said to my mom, you know, you really should listen to this podcast. And I played it once on a trip out to Long Island and I promptly fell asleep halfway through the episode. And I woke up and I said, so what did you think? She said, I did not like it. <laughs> Just like that. And I have a feeling it was one of the ones where he detailed some sexual escapade. So I, I really made a poor choice on the episode. Um, so I'm sure he told this story. If, if he did, I didn't hear it, and I'm sorry if I'm being repetitive. But on one of his relapses, he got into what I would call probably one of the worst jackpots. So we got a, I got a call frantically from an ex-girlfriend of his saying, a drug dealer has called me and said they have your brother in Harlem. Um, and we really follow birth order. I'm the nerd who tries to do everything right. I wanted to please my parents, and I was desperate to make sure Chris was okay. So I say, give me the number. I call, let's call him Jimmy, and I say, okay, hi, Jimmy. Who, you know, who are you? Where are you? He said, I've got your brother. I said, great. Can you just hold on to him for me? Can you bring him to your apartment? And he said, well, where are you? I said, well, I'm in Boston. He's like, it's late. I'm like, I know. I'm going to get in the car. I'm going to drive to New York. I'm going to pick him up. Um, so my brother and I you know, threw on our Superman capes. We went, picked him up, negotiated with the drug dealer. We get Chris in the car. We walk him into detox. I don't know. Has anyone here been into detox with somebody or walked into a hospital and tried to admit an addict? It is the most horrendous experience. I, I walked in very authoritatively, and I said, my brother's behind me. He's really difficult when he's using. He's going to need to go to detox. And the woman was like, who? Which one? <laughs> I, I almost shot her. I was like, he's coming now. He's coming now. So he comes in. We finally get him into detox. Um, we, fu- we use every connection. We get him into McLean Hospital. 
the nurse starts a very, you know, very nice nurse starts the intake process. And Chris at this point has been using every substance known to man. He's been drinking and he's imitating the nurse. (laughs) And I'm sitting next to him cringing because I have called every person I know saying, you know, I run this small addiction company. Can you please let my jerk brother into the detox because he really needs it again and there's no beds open. A friend of mine graciously says yes. And the nurse says to him, so hi, I understand you're here for drug use. And he goes, "Uh uh-huh, that's what I'm here for. (laughs) And I am sitting there, like, mortified. Just, I'm so embarrassed, to the point that I waited with him to make sure he got settled in the detox. Well, that, you know, he stayed for 20 minutes in the detox. I get home, I'm all relaxed. They said he's about to leave. The shenanigans continued over the course of a couple of days. Finally, we get him to detox. He stays for the week. And I get a call from him, and I am waiting, you know, as the older sister for the, like, Jesus, I am so sorry. You know, middle of the night, you drive to Harlem, you pick me up from the drug dealers, and I hear, yeah, so I'm going to need you to grab my wallet and bring it back to me here at McLean. And I was like, I'm sorry, why would I do that? And he's like, well, I'm not going to treatment, it's a waste of my time. And I said... I'm sorry, what else are you doing with your time? And he said, well, no, I, we've, I've been 12 times. This is just, it's just a waste of my time. I'm not going to do it. And I asked Dave, he laughed at me. I said, am I allowed to curse on this podcast? Um, so I will today because I don't normally tell the story this way. And he's like, yeah, it's a waste of my time. Arden, I'm just not going to do it. I know you think it's the right thing. And I was like, God fucking damn it, Chris. Are you listening to me? I run an addiction treatment program. I know exactly what you should do now. Just follow my instructions and do exactly what I say. And he laughed and just said, I'm not doing that. And his case manager got on the phone and she goes, you really handled that very well. I was like, I know. It's the advice I give to all the parents we have. (laughs) Um, So all I can say is, you know, I felt like I learned a lot through my brother. I always say to parents who call me desperate for help that I learned from the worst. I feel like I'm very suspicious of any case who comes in. We get a lot of stories of people who are like, I swear it's my first DUI, I'm allergic to wine. I have heard every excuse and I'm always like, oh no, that's not how it goes, I know this story. Um, And even though that's the case and even though we see some real tragedy and our family is still in the grieving process because of Chris, we miss him extraordinary amounts. I will say, I still every day get up and believe there is hope. And, and rooms like this, a community like this, what you have built here gives me that hope. Um, I know Chris would have really wanted to be here. I know Chris is, I, I think he honestly would have been almost embarrassed to see the amount of attention and the amount of engagement that this community of people has. Um, and I really want to thank you for that and thank you for honoring his legacy. Uh, Tonight, this was really important for me to be here because I know he's looking down on all of us. Like I said, I hope he's looking down. Um, But we miss him very much. And the authenticity and the humor, for me, I think it's what makes this community so special, particularly for those who are not ready to walk into the rooms yet and are not ready, they're not sure if they're going to make a change. So thank you, Dave, and thank you, everyone, who's here tonight. So um, thank you, Arden. And um, yeah, I mean, it's crazy to think about uh, where this whole thing started and where we're at now. And, uh, you know, I want to thank everybody for coming out. I think it's amazing. And I want to get a round of applause for the great Cormac, who's doing the sound. You know? 
Huh? Hey, I'm going to play a song. Don't worry. Um, and um, fucking... I want to thank everybody for coming from wherever you guys came. This is way past my bedtime, so I, sh I should have spoke first, but I guess I spoke the whole time. So what the hell do I have to say anyway? I mean, like, what I, what I think is um, Dopey was never meant to get anybody better. Dopey was meant for me to pretend I have a show. Uh, Dopey was meant uh, to laugh with Arden's brother, you know? Uh, Dopey was meant, uh, in a lot of ways, it was all based on my friendship with Todd. Uh, if you guys listen to the show, you know this guy, Todd. I met him when I was in college. Uh, I thought he was a total idiot. And somehow he grew on me in this crazy, profound way as I became stupider and maybe he became smarter. And we met someplace in the middle. And me and Todd went back and forth across the country, getting high. He moved into my apartment in this neighborhood six blocks away. And we both became addicted to heroin together. Um, when me and Chris started doing the show, all I wanted was Todd to be on the show. Because uh, Todd, to me, was just like, Chris was funny, and Chris could, like, Chris would have defeated this room. Like, he would have come up here and told any one of his stories, and it would have been, like, fucking bananas. Todd was, like, I keep saying I want to say retarded. I'm thinking of another word. What's another word for retarded? Todd was incredibly funny and broken. We'll say that. And, um... And my, I mean, my fa I have so many stories about Todd that just embody Dopey for me. Me and him were just the dumbest people in the world, the stuff we would do. And, and I remember the first time Todd, Todd came to Manhattan to, do, uh, to take me to the Grateful Dead in New Jersey. And uh, we went to Giant Stadium and, uh, to see the Grateful Dead in like 1994 or five or something, right before it was over. And we took acid. And uh, we were tripping out, and, and somehow, like, I don't even know where we were, but when we got to the parking lot, there were no cars there anymore. It was just our car, and, like, it was easy to find it because it was the only car in the parking lot. It was, like, the middle of the night, and we were tripping. And we went back to the car, and we drove back, and we were staying in my parents' apartment while my parents were there. And they have, a, you know, it's a big apartment for New York, but it's very close quarters. And me and Todd were in my childhood bedroom, tripping and laughing our asses off and my mom just doesn't have stuff like that and my mom gets up and she starts screaming screaming at me and Todd and Todd is freaking out like terrified and I think it's the fucking funniest thing that's ever happened because my mother is like she was a teacher, she was Jewish, and she was loud. And if she got angry, you fucking get out of the fucking way. And, uh, and Todd was terrified. Todd was always terrified to come back. And whenever, after that, for, for years, I would say, Todd, remember that time that my mom got so angry at you? And I would just start laughing, and he would always get embarrassed. So whenever we, me and Chris started to do Dopey, it always reminded me of whatever stupid Todd stories I remember. And, and basically... Every story on Dopey I told, I'd say nine out of 10 stories on Dopey I told were with Todd. Um, but before, I'm gonna tell my favorite uh, Dopey story. Um, but first I'm gonna uh, just say this, that like Chris and I never thought Dopey was gonna get anybody better. We didn't, and I didn't even think it would help anybody, frankly. I just thought it would be a good show. And like what happened was, because it was a good show, it wound up helping people which is still hard to believe. You know, if it was meant to help people, it wouldn't have been a good show. 
it would have fucking sucked. But because it was supposed to be fun, it wound up helping people. And what Chris called it was uh, the rope-a-dope, which is we rope people in with debauchery, and they think that we're having fun in recovery, which we were, and it will help them. And that's what happened to Cormac. When Cormac started listening to the show, he was doing disassociative drugs. He didn't want to go to a meeting, and he heard me and Chris having fun, so he got better, right, Cormac? Damn right, there he is. Let's give him another round of applause. I mean, there's a, there's a couple of people like that, but that's just what it was about. Now, I'm just gonna tell my favorite little quick dopey story and then we'll play some tunes and we're done. Um, and I'm sure you guys, you guys heard the seizure story, right? I'm gonna tell it again, because it's my favorite story. And it's such a sad story, which is, look at my dad, he's like, it's funny though. Um, it's like triple sad, too, because Linda had left. Linda, Linda had found me with a needle in my lap and took our baby and left. And I'm living in Astoria alone. And, and Todd, fucking Todd, had brought dope to our apartment uh, while Linda was pregnant. And it was like this fun thing for me and him. And we, I had just bought a Super Nintendo Wii or something. And we're fucking doing dope. And Linda's watching The Bachelorette in the other room. And this was funny somehow. Anyway, Linda found the dope. She left. And I'm living alone. And Todd's like, finally, we can hang out again. Finally, your, your wife and your baby are gone. And we can hang out like the old days. And I was like, okay, that sounds good. And um, so Todd comes over. And I'm totally hopelessly addicted to Xanax. Just, and, and I, I just, my physiological, physio, what is it, physiology? My physiology dictated that when I was addicted to Xanax and I didn't have them, I had seizures. And I had seizures everywhere. I had seizures at rehab. I fell off a picnic table. I woke up in the hospital. I had seizures on a plane. I would be getting on the plane, and, and the next thing I know, I'd be being wheeled off the plane. I'd be like, what's going on here? And the stewardess would be like, you're having a seizure. I'd be like, no, I was sleeping. You know, I had seizures everywhere. I had a seizure in that apartment. Uh, I was on the top of a loft bed. I had a seizure. I fell off the loft bed onto a Jerome Baker bong, broke the bong, landed on the floor, bloody, the bong, cra you know, I'm just, I'm still scarred from this bong. I've got cuts all over my legs. I wake up in a hospital, but I was dragged out by cops. Supposedly I was reaching for the cop's gun. Anyway, fast forward. And this stuff, I mean, like, I guess, you know, it's not funny to my dad, but somehow I, I think this is a great story. Anyway, so me and Todd are at my apartment in Astoria, and, um, and I would shoot the dope, and Todd would sniff the dope. And Todd would always sniff the dope off of CDs, because it was just the thing to do. So I remember we're sitting in my, I had an office in that apartment somehow, not that I did any work, but I had an office, and, um, and Todd's sniffing the dope, and I'm shooting the dope, and we're getting hungry. So I'm like, uh, we should get Mexican food. And he's like, yeah, that sounds good. So I order some Mexican food, and, uh, and we keep getting high. And the next thing you know, I have a seizure. And I just fucking fall out. And, and, um, and I don't really know what happens. But what happens is there's a knock at the door. And Todd is freaking out because I had a seizure. And when, Todd, and when something like that would happen with Todd, Todd had a tough fight or flight thing, and he's running around freaking out, and he runs to the door, and to the best of my understanding, he opens up the door, and as he's opening up the door, he faints, okay? <laughs> and I come to in the office, 
And I'm like a little bit confused. And I walk into, we are living in a railroad apartment, and I see Todd is out in the doorway. The front door is open, and there's a Mexican man standing over him. And I'm like, what the fuck is this? You know, what's happened here? And then I see he's wearing whites and, and has a bag of food. And I'm like, oh yeah, we ordered Mexican food. So I, uh, I buy the Mexican food and I start slapping the shit out of Todd. And I'm like, dude, you fucking fainted? And Todd fainted all the fucking time. In, in LA, he was like, he never shot dope. But in LA, he was like, all right, Dave, shoot me up, do it. I want you to do it, shoot me up. And I was like, okay, I'll do it, whatever. And uh, so I fucking tie Todd off and I, and I I cook up a shot and I, and I draw the, the needle up and whatever and I go to shoot him up and he fucking looks at the needle and he faints in the chair <laughs> and that was Todd you know he would faint so when he, he came to on the floor in Astoria I said to him I said this might be the greatest moment of my life and he's like it's not funny and I said yes it is it's like Three's Company if Three's Company was junkies this is the fucking story <laughs> You know, and it's like, that's why it's my favorite dopey story. And, um, and Todd hated it. Every fucking embarrassing story with Todd, he hated. Uh, in LA, he drove me home once and, and he had a car full of heroin and I was smoking a cigarette and I flicked it out the window and we got pulled over and he went to jail. And I thought that was funny too, you know? And, and all of these stories, like Todd would pay the price. And like, um, I don't know. I miss Todd so much. Uh, I miss Chris so much. And, um, you know, Todd died last summer. I remember it. I have to pull my pants up. Hold on. Sorry. It's a problem I have when I have hands. Um, fucking, I remember it really well. Me and Linda, we had just had a baby. We had just bought a house. And we're, we're washing the baby in the, in the sink. Even and our older daughter was there. And it was like this very beautiful family moment and I get a text from uh, one of Linda's friends who's also one of Todd's best friends and he says you gotta call me and Linda looks holy shit he has the dopey tattoo yeah, he look at that the dopey tattoo I'm sorry I'm very distracted um, it's not even a funny story I shouldn't have done that um, it's a terrible story but uh, I, he, Linda's like I know there's something wrong and um, and I talk to this guy and he tells me that Todd Todd is dead and I didn't even understand it. You know, I didn't even understand it. And Todd wanted to die for a long time. And Todd had nothing going for him for a long time. And, uh, and he died. He went to treatment. He went to sober living. He did, he did whatever he could do. Um, but he caught fentanyl. You know, and, and he didn't look for fentanyl. He, 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 he probably did two bags. They didn't even find the bags. And, and he was dead. And he was just gone. And... Um, and when he was gone, uh, I was totally changed. Um, I love Todd. He was like uh, my brother. And, um, and to see this thing, you know, in memory of Chris and Todd, it, it's, uh, it's insane to me that this happened. And this is the, the outcome of this thing. You know, and, and the outcome is, uh, you know, they say at every meeting, they say all these fucking cliches about uh, your diseases doing push-ups or that you have to step over dead bodies. And, and here we are, and it's fucked up. And, uh, and the really fucked up thing was that after Todd died, I was sick. I was fucking sick. Um, and I don't think Chris had started using yet. Um, and we did an episode about Todd being dead. 
and Chris kind of walked me through it and it was, I told every Todd story I could think of and I had every friend of Todd's on the show that would come on. And then, um, and something happened with Chris, you know, in, in that period. And I was fucking insane. Like, and I was so scared, but I still didn't know. Like, I, I just didn't know, you know. Um, I just thought he didn't want to do the show. You know, I just thought he wasn't interested in doing the show or being my friend or he wanted to be a doctor or whatever the case may be. Um, and when his girlfriend called me and told me he had died, it was six weeks, like, to the day of Todd dying. And I didn't believe her because I had had this whole talk with Chris the night before where he told me she was crazy because he was high. And, yeah, I know. And, I mean, it's, it's, it's just insane. So to me, um, I told my sponsor at the time that Chris had died, and, and he said, that's Chris carrying the message. And I was like, you're a dick. Um, but in the end, this is something to, to learn from, you know. And, uh, and I don't know what, I mean, recovery isn't for everybody. I'm not saying fucking don't do drugs. I'm saying if you do heroin, you might die faster than you thought you were going to die. And it happens, you know. Um, I'm incredibly honored and touched and moved that you guys came out tonight. It means everything to me. Uh, it's so cool. I know Chris would have been embarrassed, but he would have loved it. And, um, you know, I think that's it. So we'll say, I mean, we'll say stay strong, uh, dopey nation and fucking toodles for Chris. And, uh, right. I mean, there's nothing else to say. Um, and you we will do a fucking song. We'll do a little song and then, Oh, hold up. Hold up. Wait, wait, no, no, no. Hold up. Before we do the song, we're supposed to do questions, answers. Does anybody have questions and answers? I'll have answers. If you have questions, any questions Rue, you have a question? Yeah, it's late. It's way later than I thought. Does anybody have anything to say? Bill, you don't have to ask anything. Is the cookie coming out? The cookie's never coming out. But. <laughs> All right, so we'll just do a song and no questions and answers. Unless anybody has anything they want to say. Ah, you want to hear about Artie? Okay, that's very interesting. That's an important question. I appreciate that question. Um, where are we at with Artie Lang? It's very interesting. Artie, I, I have Artie Lang on my brain all the time, because I'm a sick person. And I am, I'm a sick person, and Artie Lang is always on my brain. Literally, at some point during the day, I'm thinking about Artie Lang. I just, I am. And, um, and there was a second when Artie was really getting high. He texted me and he said, I think I want to do the show with you. Meaning, be on Dopey, be on the show. And I knew that wasn't gonna happen. Anyway, uh, where are we at with Artie? Artie played a show tonight, Artie played a show last night in fucking Governors and where is that? In Levittown or something. Linda's friend went to see Artie. Linda's friend went to Artie and said, what did he say? Here, tell them. Dave, said, Dave from Dopey said happy birthday. Dave from, yesterday was Artie's birthday. So Dave from Dopey said happy birthday and Artie said, read the text, Lynn. This is very important. This is very important. This is very, very important. It's very, very important. He was like, oh, Dave, he's a good guy. Tell him I will call him soon. I want to talk to him. Tell him I will call him soon. I want to talk to him. Does Artie have my number? Definitely not. So we'll see. Any other questions? Did you guys have fun? All right, cool. So...
should I play um, should I play Forever in Debt and Good So Bad or just do Good So Bad? No, you have I strong I can't. I have to play that one because I don't I don't have a thing. You have one. You have to sit down to Oh strap. Yeah. I know, it's a bummer. Don't worry about it. You have a, a thing? Yes. This was Chris's favorite song of mine. And Aiden's gonna play I don't need a second. And Aiden's gonna play with me. How are you gonna do it? Aiden's gonna get a chair and play. This is some classic dopey right here. Too loud. One, two, three, four, ever in debt. Building standing set. Standing their ground to defend against the rest. We're all at odds. Don't forget your bets from the roof, I yell. You hardly break a sweat. Sabotage is no longer camouflage. Almost in the open, so you better quit your job. Can't say it looks too good. It could be a mirage pointed at your head. I think it's time to dodge. Sing it. Everyone has to sing it. Yeah, All right. If you know the song, you should sing the song. All right.
buy merchandise in the back.